Namaste Satish. Shall we start? Since there is no particular subject uh, and uh, the workshop is, you know, uh, on self-preparation in yoga, which anyways we are going to uh, take up as it flows there. But I just thought that uh, I'll share a little story about the place where we are going. Uh, actually, I have not been to the place, though I have heard about it since the last four or five years. Uh, and I was quite uh, as much keen to go there as probably anyone uh, since uh, Acharya Muni, who has, who, who has you know, started this Gurukul and Ved Patsala, has named it as Sri Aurobindo Dham. So that was something very uh, interesting and intriguing to me. And then I came to know that it, this place is very near the river Kaveri. So I was reminded of the story of Kaveri and how its occult links with Shurabindo. So there are two stories as far as I know. One is that Kaveri is uh, Vishnu Maya and uh, Lord Vishnu asks her to go down on earth and be with Sage Agastya. And as the story goes that uh, she then takes birth as Lopamudra, marries him and then there is a drought down south and she goes into Rishi Agastya Kamandalu and goes right up to the southern state where she is then released or rather it gets released by some Lord Ganesh coming into the picture. He topples the Kamandalu. And that's where Kaveri originated. I have gone to that place called Tal Kaveri or Tal Kaveri. And then of course it flows through that, uh, as we know in India, every river is associated with a beautiful story. The other story which I feel is um, even more interesting is that Sage Agastya has received all the boons from Lord Shiva. And uh, Lord Shiva asked him to go down south to propagate and spread the Vedic lore and uh, he has to cross the Vindhyas and he tells him that why Vindhyachal has become very arrogant so just see that it is put in its place but Rishi Agast asks in return that yes I will go down but I will miss Kailash so I need the purest water from Kailash with me which uh, wherever I go it should accompany me so of course, we know the purest water from Kailash, not, nothing else but the great Ganga. And so Shiva uh, grants this boon and since then he moved with his Kamandalu and he crosses Vindhyachal and Vindhyachal bows down and Rishyagas says that stay in this posture till I come back. And of course, he never comes back. So he crosses Vindhyachal and then he goes to this place where again Talkaviri is there where he releases the waters uh, and Lo and behold, the river flows as the purifying stream. So that's why it is also known as Dakshin Ganga. Now, many of us are aware or perhaps uh, may not be so aware that uh, Rishi Agast and uh, Lopa Mudra have a connection with the mother and Shirobindo. In fact, um, I had a whole talk on it which should be there in uh, on Oroma on from Sage Agast to Shirobindo. And they were involved in a similar project. If you look at the Vedic uh, hymns of Rishi Agast, his project was to bring down the light into the subconscious, if I have to use the modern language. And so we see him associated with those celestial weapons with which he 
destroys the asuras, breaks open the caves of the panis. So it's a very interesting story that they were involved in cleansing the subconscious of the earth. And that's where Kaveri gets its real sense. Because uh, just like Ganga, which comes and purifies the subconscious elements, that's how she becomes Patal Ganga, we have Tal Kaveri. So where if you see, it's a very small stream. It looks like a well actually. Uh, and you take a bath, I have, I have seen, it's, it's a beautiful, very nice sight. It's not about the sight, there is a very nice feel out there. I think it's near Matikeri, that's where Matikeri, that's where I had been. And uh, then uh, she flows down as if purifying the subconscious elements. Now why this is important is because the subconscious is the real um, problem which binds and chains us as human beings uh, in all our future progress. So subconscious is that part which... Holds all that we have ever, he is the, he's the Chitragupta, it is the Chitragupta if you want to put it. Uh, so, he, it is recorded everything, everything that we have seen, felt, ever heard, all that is documented there. We see its description in uh, Shubhinda's epic Savitri in book 9, canto 1. So, when Savitri goes into that realm, she sees all those fragments which are there lying scattered and later on even uh, death shows her that look, this is where they are buried. So our buried selves, our past personalities through past lives, our habits, tendencies, not only individually and collectively, they are the ones which are like chains and fetters, preventing our advance. So up till now, now the rishis knew it, the, the traditional yogis also knew it, but they didn't want to tackle it. They instead found a way that how they can simply taking the mind or the heart or the will as a tool of ascension, means of ascension, they escaped from this entire realm that we know as earth. Of course, earth is not just the physical earth, but it has its own atmosphere, etc. extending. And they escaped, their soul escaped from the, um, you know, fetters of the subconscious. So they escaped. But this escape, while individually it's okay, but if we take a body upon earth, it will still be under the influence of the subconscious. So diseases will be there. Many of the chronic illnesses are because of the subconscious which constantly throws up. Once something settles in the body, once a habit settles in the mind, it keeps on repeating. So, individually one can escape. That path has been known. But if we take birth upon earth, we are once again caught in that trap. So, that's why we see that uh, from there came this idea that, you know, rebirth is a kind of uh, bondage and a chain. And people started... Finding a way not only for the soul to escape, but never to return back on earth. Which obviously was, um, uh, you know, a very limited, at best a very limited and not very um, manly or sage-like or divine-like way of life. So, this was one approach. Then Sri Krishna gave in the Gita the ideal of Jivan Mukta. He said, no, no, once you are free, it's possible for you to enter into the body. Yes, your body will be bound uh, by the gunas, the three gunas, but inwardly you will be trigunatit. You will be free. So you won't be bound, your true self will not be bound. But your body, mind and heart, they will run according to the three gunas. So this was a great ideal. That means we don't have to run away forever. We can come back upon earth as Jivan Muktas. And Jivan Muktas will do the work of carrying on the march of mankind forward. But where is this karma going? That's where we see Shurabindo comes and reveals to us that the march of mankind is not just a meaningless repetition of Chatur Yugas. But there is a 
method and a process and a work behind it, a purpose behind it. And that purpose is the progressive divine manifestation. So Sri now completes the whole picture. To escape from the bonds of ignorance can be one step. But more important to be upon earth as a Jeevan Mukta, like the ideal of King Janak and Sri Krishna. But even more important is to manifest the divine will through our mind, heart, life and body itself. So that this earthly life can become a life divine. So that is the whole project which starts way back, as I said, with Rishi Agastya and Lopamudra and many other Rishis who were involved in this project time to time. They were deeply concerned about how we can make earth's life beautiful. If you look into these Vedic hymns, it's much later, particularly after the age of Upanishads. And then, as you know, earth became more and more under the grip of the Asura, that there was a tendency to find a way of escape. But it's not there in the original Sanatana Dharma. So, we see that that project initiated by Rishi Agastya and uh, Lopa Mudra has now come to a completion, point of completion. And therefore, this yoga is important because it not only connects with the past. There are many yogas which connect with some Rishi in the past. There are many yogas which uh, take up some path which was already well prepared. Uh, So, they only modify it a little and give a little more easier way because that path is already prepared. So this yoga picks up from the past, which is the Vedic Rishi, but takes it to the future. Meaning thereby, there are many elements in this yoga which do belong to the traditional ways. But more importantly, there are many elements which are found nowhere. And uh, the goal itself is different. The goal is not just an escape from earthly life into some nirvana or moksha, but the collective emancipation of mankind so that human life with its limited framework changes into a life divine. Meaning thereby that, well, human life, even at its best, is a sattvic life and we can have sattvic society like we had in India of old. But even a sattvic life, even if we suppose that, you know, such a life could be created, everybody rises, becomes noble, beautiful human beings, still it will be limited by the human framework of knowledge, human framework of capacities of the heart, limitations of human will, And of course, the limitation of the human body. So, it is bound to decline at some point of time. This is what we see that happened in many of these societies which attempted becoming an ideal sattvic society. Not only in India, but even in Greece we see this. So, it's pulled down. But not just a sattvic society of noble, beautiful human beings, but a spiritual society of spiritually realized beings, not just realized beings, But those who take up the challenge of earthly life and all its activities and movements and strive and labor towards making this life here perfect. So this is the divine project which Sri and the mother have initiated or carried forward just like Savitri of old um, initiated the project of uh, immortality. Now immortality now is not just about the inner soul but also the mind of the heart, of the life and of course the body. So this is the continuation of that project and we are happy that we will be having a preliminary sort of workshop uh, on self-preparation in yoga. Uh, Of course, self-preparation is something which goes on. It's not like now you are prepared for yoga, now you are initiated and you are on the path because there are so many parts of nature. Some part is ready. 
may not even require a preparation. It opens. Whereas there are other parts which take time. They get prepared and then they engage with the yoga. There are others which are not only not ready, but they resist. They don't want the yoga. Because human beings are not made of one single piece. Uh, it's... Um, I don't know whether to say fortunately true or unfortunately true. I would rather say fortunately true. Because imagine if we were made of single piece and all of us would have been such monotonous creatures. So there is variety. There is um, variety not only outside but within human nature. And an extreme degree of diversity exists within human beings. So Shobindo's yoga takes into account all these diverse uh, complexities of human nature. So he doesn't give a straight cut solution. Everybody does this method of meditation and he uh, finds his road to freedom. Because that's not the way of Sanatan Dharma. Though it's more popular nowadays. You pay a few dollars, learn a technique and that's it. It takes into account all the diversity of human nature and progresses through that. So what that means, we will share when we are there uh, for the moment. I think I'll pause here and if there are any questions, I'll be happy to answer. Oh, Dr. Lokji, Namaste. I'm Ramesh from Mysore. I, ah, I hope I am audible. We were yes, together. Yes. We were together in one of the Zoom meetings earlier also. We had invited... Yes, I am aware. I remember. I remember. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Alarji. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what should we understand? Uh, and why should we understand the nature and process of our mother's yoga in the modern life's context? This takes us directly to the heart of the purpose of the yoga. And uh, most of us are living in the society, what mother calls the old world and the old values. We are, yes. com we are completely surrounded by the old kind of thinking, all mental constructions, patterns around us. And uh, such people are coming to the workshop, as I suppose, because we are not living in any ashram as such. So how to pursue our yoga in that context of the society, which is completely, if not antagonistic, some kind of contradictory, uh, contains contradictory elements to the yoga. Okay. So, uh, this is, of course, we'll take up this subject in, in a little more detail. So, what was really the old world? It's not that uh, everything was uh, bad or wrong in the old world. No, there were many beautiful things, as I said in the past. The problem of the old world is that, uh, you know, as the Gita speaks of Dharma Siglani, so, for instance, if we connect with the aspiration of the rishis who wanted the heaven and earth to become one, it's very beautiful. But over a period of time, this aspiration begins to crystallize into fixed forms and formulas. And then it goes one step further into rituals which, uh, uh, well, have a meaning if we go deep into it. But most of the time, they are practiced in a very unconscious way. The second problem is of the old world was that now, when you practice these rituals in a very unthinking way, then it's very difficult to adapt them to modern life. For instance, that, you know, I have grown up uh, again in typical old world where we used to pray and in, go to a temple regularly. But now we need to understand that the original temple, always when the rishis speak about the fire, 
Where is this fire located? It is within the heart of man. This fire we always carry. This temple. Shabda speaks about the temple of the Divine Mother. This is the temple which must be kept clean. Now it's important to connect with the aspiration rather than the forms and formulas which necessarily change because, well, time moves forward, things move forward. So, Shobindo brings out the essence, the kernel of the past and he gives us that truth rather than all the outer formulas. Secondly, in the old world, the aspiration of man went as far as the gods. So, the mother speaks about it as the realm of the gods and we prayed to gods and the gods could help our lives, even change us to an extent. Uh, even sometimes to a rare seeker, they could grant freedom, which is mukti, moksha. Shiva could grant that, Krishna in his own way. But the problem is that the gods ultimately still come within the realm of the cosmic consciousness. They govern the cosmic consciousness. And until a new force comes, which is has the mandate to change earthly life, they cannot just arbitrarily change it. And that's what we see in all of our Puranas. The gods are there, wonderful beings. And uh, they, they are always there. They are not just uh, human imagination. But they can grant to individual or even sometimes to a group things which our heart desires, sometimes even, as I said, some purity of the soul, some kind of knowledge. But they cannot transform earthly life because for that, a new force is needed, a new uh, something from the transcendent. <coughs> That's what the mother describes uh, in one of her passages, which probably we'll read it there. Uh, it's there in volume 3, where the mother speaks about what really is uh, overmind and supermind. And uh, at the same time, she brings that new force from the transcendent, which if we take the transcendent, universal or the cosmic and the individual, uh, we have this, uh, that, that is the pragya, uh, where the seeds of things which are yet to manifest are there. And then there is the Hiranagarbha. So, gods govern the realm of the Hiranagarbha. And then there is Virat, which is the waking consciousness. So, but something has to come in the Hiranagarbha for them to manifest. So the mother and Shubindo bring out from that hidden reality, Pragya and beyond it, that Turiya in which people went and escaped. They went there but brought from it all that can still manifest, is waiting to manifest upon earth. And therein lies the newness of this yoga, that a new possibility has come in. And uh, so according to that new possibility, we have to adapt our inner consciousness, inner being, our aspiration has to change accordingly. The ways of approach, for instance, there is insistence on the Divine Mother here. But Divine Mother not only to liberate us, Divine Mother has been there always in Indian thought. It's something very unique, but also to transform us. So, these are some very new elements which we will speak about uh, in detail when we are there. At the same time, we must understand that everything modern is not necessarily good. Just as everything in the past was not necessarily bad. So, everything modern is not necessarily new. Many things in the modern are nothing but an endless cycle of repetition. Just like, you know, we had the bell bottoms, which was a fashion in, I think, the 60s. And now it is coming back in, in its own way. Because um, many, many things we see that, you know, they are nothing but a repetition of certain, uh, whether we call it value or certain vital ways of living. Uh, only we have amassed external structures and machinery. So, frankly, it's a very dangerous situation. Because we think it is modern and modernity has broken the old. It's true. 
because life has become not only more complex in many ways uh, human consciousness has become much more complex it has on one side given us a tremendous ease and comfort of living and therefore robbed us of our natural health so now we have to you know live life to you know we have to do conscious means of remaining healthy which was not the case say 50 years back at the same time human rational thought has uh, tried to demolish and debunk many things uh, of the past beautiful past as myths and legends so right now we stand at a crossroad uh, the youngsters cannot reclaim the past because they don't connect with it they don't understand it at the same time if they blindly start aping modernity they will be lost even in a much worse way so the mother and shobindo reveal the truth behind this change that we see that is happening it's an evolutionary crisis that is how they put it so in every evolutionary crisis we have to go one step beyond so neither antiquity nor modernity but something that is yet to manifest so uh, those who want to be pioneers of the change they have to take a leap beyond both so neither discarding antiquity for the sake of modernity as the modern mind understands it that that means uh, Uh, we know all that came in the so-called liberal thought, modernism, post-modernism, deconstruction. Now, wokeism, all these things which have come. Basically, that is the Western approach of what modernity is. But for us, uh, modernity and liberal have very different meanings, and we must bring in that aspect and take it one step further um, towards the new future which is going to come. So, yes, people are stuck, and maybe. obviously this yoga is in a way not meant for all uh, if uh, i mean one one is free to choose that well one wants to remain with the old way of life or one wants to just conform blindly to the modern way of life it's each one's choice <coughs> but there are some people more and more all over the world who feel an increasing need of something else some can define it some cannot define it they feel at least in my case i know that i had read the scriptures the vedas the upanishads the gita the ramayana the mahabharata and and wonderful and the western philosophies but i felt this does not answer my complete quest because i always felt nirvana and personal bliss is very selfish at the same time the modern way of life go partying stay meaninglessly busy seemed so purposeless so i believe all over the world there are children uh, hope is actually with the children who are feeling this need they don't know what this need is they can't put a finger on it and uh, as the mother said it is to them we call there is a very beautiful message of the mother that a new world based upon truth refusing its slavery to falsehood is born in all the countries there are men who feel it they want it they feel it it is to them we call will you collaborate so this is where the rub lies that do we really feel the need of this earth becoming truly beautiful divine i would say to go beyond the human formula not just in a line of escape vertical escape but a line of horizontal expansion in terms of creating this world a vast embrace of god so there are people i believe all over the world and i am sure in the workshop everywhere uh, people may not know but uh, i do believe that the fact that uh, somehow or the other 
whether uh, you know inspired by the teachings whether you know satish has sent an email i don't know what is the process but the fact that people are here together we are going to be together i believe that itself is a sign that somewhere there is a nascent aspiration or maybe a conscious aspiration so that's how i look at it Sri Ramana said death is a process of life. Ah death is a process of life yes. Can you explain it? Okay death is a process of life is actually very simple if we look at it all the time in this universe everything is being recreated each moment and uh, it applies even to the human body seven times at least we change over I mean, earlier they used to say that the brain cells live long and they die, but now that theory is also gone. So basically, uh, why there is a need for this death of the cells um, and a new this thing? Because after a point of time, the body physical form is not able to follow the uh, march of you know the evolutionary march of the why the soul even of the vital energy in us. There are so many people who know, you know, if you ask them, and I often remind today itself, I had a patient who was 80 and somebody was telling, you know, she is 80 year old. I said, don't say like that, you know, she is 18. So she immediately smiled, a very sweet smile. I said, just that the body is 80. The vital in man never grows old. And I am sure people who, who, who have turned off age, they understand what I am saying. But the body cannot. And... it's true of the vital even the mind it wants to know it it is seeking but the body begins to refuse it does not collaborate and of course the soul which which has infinity is uh, doors open before it and yet the body tends to get fatigue lack of energy so death comes to free our soul uh, after it has reached a point of progress beyond which it becomes very difficult to do it in the same body i'll give an example there are people who say at uh, 70 they they discover something and they feel that secret urge that oh i should have done this i would have been this or sometimes even at 30 35 i met people who felt that they were feeling stifled in the life even they harbored death wishes i know this because you know i speak to them and then suddenly something happens and they left the body now outwardly it's a tragedy but inwardly it's a journey of life now life must take another body or we can continue uh, take it like this that if i am going in a car and traveling to some place and if the car breaks down now what do i do i can lament about it or i call another taxi and take <laughs> because ultimately my goal is not the car for the sake of the car but car for the sake of the purpose the destination towards which i am traveling so the body is always regarded as a yan or a yantra it is a tool and uh, beyond a point the tool tends to become blunt so it has to be changed or if we take it is a vehicle because without the body we can't travel and journey and take the experiences so the vehicle breaks down and there is a need of a new body but life doesn't die life by nature is immortal it after death death of the body actually the body dies the life travels on to other worlds where it absorbs some experiences releases some other energies then whatever is left ultimately gets integrated with the soul stuff as uh, the true vital the true mental even the true physical and then when the time comes after the rest it uh, takes birth in another body projects into another body rather than takes birth and slowly 
it starts its journey again from where it had left. So it's a constant evolutionary progression for which death is necessary. If there is no evolution, then death is frankly speaking no necess- not necessary. One lives and then one dies and there is no process of life. But the process of life means that life is evolving, growing, manifesting, progressing. But it cannot progress beyond a point in the material body as it is now. It need not be so in the future. But as it is now and therefore there is also a stress in evolution on the change of body and the physical form. Because without that change new possibilities cannot manifest. So that is the whole secret of death is a process of life. It is a process of life without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. Namaste. Yeah. How to distinguish between soul and the mental vital aspiration? Aspiration is always belonging to the soul. But in the mind it takes the form of seeking for knowledge, truth, light. In the soul it is in its purest form. That is the divine. Because the soul has the faith, it knows the divine. But in the mind it takes the... uh, And this knowledge in various ways, understanding, knowledge, true knowledge, uh, it takes the form of uh, seeking for truth, etc., etc., in the vital, it takes the form of, you know, an idealized emotion, an idealized sentiment. All these things can, you know, it can t- touch the vital, uh, inexhaustible energy um, to become an instrument of, of the divine, to serve the divine. So it takes that form. All aspiration is about upward turning. And of course, in the physical, it can take the form of uh, constant health, vigor, um, you know, no degeneration healthy, harmonious, beautiful, robust body. So deep within uh, the soul, the aspiration is always for the divine, very simply to unite and become one with the divine. Because it knows it has come from there and it wants to go there. And very often this word mental, vital, physical is in Mother and Shiva Bindu's writing. In traditional yoga, it's not even used because it's not necessary. The soul wants to become one with the divine, doesn't matter. By intensifying its aspiration, doesn't matter, it just longs and all the rest is put into quiescence or dropped off. Except one part, maybe in Bhakti Yoga, the emotions, in Gyan Yoga, the thought, in Karma Yoga, the will. But in this yoga, because there is a need of transformation, therefore mental, vital, physical aspiration are necessary. Because through aspiration, the area becomes, that part becomes baked. So aspiration is the fire that bakes the clay and makes it ready to receive the Shuddha Ganga Jal. Uh, transforming force from above. Ji, namaste. Once again, on behalf of all the participants, I would like to ask a general question. We are we are meeting on summit. Yes, please. How can all of us get the maximum yogic and spiritual benefit by your presence and by our interaction with you on those two days? Uh, is there any specific instruction or advice from your side for all the participants? Yes, the the advice is always the same. That uh, you see, uh, and and I tell this to many groups that we should be one pointed and focused on the purpose of the workshop. Why I'm saying so that you know people sometimes come together. Uh, for instance, I have seen Nanital people come together. But then they are also, oh, it's a lovely place, so let me go roaming around. Now, nothing wrong. Nature is very beautiful and I believe the place where we are going, it's beautiful. So that's okay. But then when we end up only socializing and, you know, uh, 
bothering about the food, gossiping about what's happening, then there is a problem. I mean, problem in the sense we don't receive. We should be happy, not that we have to become serious-faced. Inwardly, we should be glad, receptive, but we should know the purpose. So, staying focused that this is what we are here for. It's a question of two days or one and a half days. Let us be focused on um, trying to open ourselves to the mother and Shurabindo. That's what is important. While it's very good to do exercises, I also want to walk up to Kaveri and all that is wonderful. But uh, the real purpose is even when we are taking that walk, we can either be just distracted, chatting, uh, I don't know what uh, human activities I don't <laughs> sometimes understand. <laughs> I've seen people uh, sitting even in ashrams and you know they just talk just randomly. So instead of that, we can stay a little more focused so that you know we are open more and more to Mother and Shivinda even when we take a walk, when we are, uh, you know, we can get to know each other, of course, but uh, not uh, get lost into all the what shall I say, into the meaningless things of life which normally engage us as to uh, this is a lovely uh, dress, where did you buy it or how, what's your son doing and all that is really, we, we have a lot of time for all that, <laughs> if at all that is necessary. So to be focused more and more in receiving, absorbing, lot of questions will be very good and I would be very happy if there are a lot of questions like this because then we can cover a very wide domain. So I suppose this is it and then we can have a kind of a group later on when we finish it so that we can always interact over some kind of a group uh, on which people can pose their questions. So it's, it's not like beginning and end because nothing really begins where it begins. Uh, long back, who knows, like mother said, ages of aspiration has brought us together. So I don't believe it's just a coincidence. And also nothing ends where it ends. It continues towards newer and newer beginnings. So that's how I look at it. Okay. Thank you. Bhagda, mm-hmm. many thanks for your time, valuable time and sharing whatever you thought. And we are on the we are all the participants, we are looking forward to you to meet at Sri Aurobindo Dhamma. So I request all the participants to stay back. We have some announcement to meet. After that, you can have a time, you can stay back with us, otherwise you can leave. We will continue with this session. Thanks once again. Thank you once again. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you.